John 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. You know, now we look through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But we know that when He is revealed, we will be like Him. I want to pause right here. That further bears out my point that when you are adopted by God and He gives you His Spirit, you go through a metamorphosis. You really do begin to take on. You ever heard uh, someone say that after people are married for 50 years, they start to look alike? Have you ever seen that, that, uh, that uh, it's an array of pictures of people that look like their dogs? <laughs> Kind of hilarious. After a while, it seems like they start to look alike. But um, they do say that, you know, after people live together long enough, they start to look alike. Well, I I think there's part of the reason for that theory is the older we get, we all look alike. (laughs) You know what I mean? Babies all sort of look alike when they first pop out. They're kind of wrinkled and they got cone heads. And then they start to take on their distinctive identities. But um, And you're kind of like that when you enter the world. You're kind of like that on your way out. <laughs> we all turn into all uh, kind of a, a grain mass of wrinkled flesh. <laughs> when we're old. That wasn't very nice, was it? But um, anyway, when you are adopted by God, the longer you follow Jesus, the more you become like Him. Didn't they say when Peter, James, and John were being tried before the Sanhedrin, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus because they answered and acted like Jesus. And so uh, we do take on the, the mold of our Master as we walk with Him. Um, now, it says something here. Oh, let me finish reading this one more time. First John 2, verse 2 and 3. I'm sorry, First John 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone that has this hope in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Two things I want to think about. We shall be like Him. Didn't the devil want to be like God? What's wrong with wanting to be like God? Did the devil want to be like God or be God? Is it okay to want to be like God? Is there a difference in wanting to be like God and being God-like? The devil wanted the power of God, but he did not want the character of God. So you should want to be like Christ. You should want to be Christ-like. Do not seek to be Christ. That's the difference. And it's a very fine difference. Um, I'll be talking a little more in the message to follow today about um, when you study the beast power. It's one thing to be want to be like Christ. It's another thing to want to claim to be Christ on earth. And that's really a title that the, the beast power claims. And so, big difference. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Jesus. I want His character is what that means. And then the last part of that verse again, it says, And everyone that has this hope in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, I know I've been hammering this point. Um, beloved, now we are the children of God. Last part of it says, those that have this hope purifies himself because they're spirit-filled as he is pure. We become pure in heart like him. Didn't Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart? 
If you keep your eyes fixed upon Christ, your soul is something like a photographic plate. You are transformed into the image of what you look at. And as you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, we are purified. We are changed by beholding into His, into his image. Uh, you know, there's another verse, Ephesians 5.26 Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. I'll have someone else read that. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. All right, so would you say when he comes, he's coming for a pure church? What is it that washes her? Washing of the water by the Word. You know, the Word has a purifying influence. It really does. The, and you know, you can't just read it once to have that purifying influence. You've got to read it frequently. It reminds me of the uh, the old story about the the boy who came out, he saw his grandpa rocking on the porch reading the Bible. He says, Grandpa, you've been reading that Bible my whole life. He says, don't you know it now? How many times have you read it? Oh, I can't say I've read it through many times. He says, well, don't you know it now? You don't need to read it anymore. So i got to read it all the time. He says, do you remember it all? He says, no. And he says, I don't see where it does any good to just read it all the time. He says, well, it, it cleanses my heart. He says, that doesn't make any sense to me. And the, uh, the grandpa said to the boy, he said, I tell you what, I want you to go out to the well. I want you to take the coal basket by the stove in the house and I want you to fill the coal basket with some water and bring it to me as quick as you can. And so the boy obediently, he didn't understand, he took the coal basket and he pumped water from the well into the coal basket and he tried to run up to grandpa, but all the water ran out before he could ever get there. He said, now, come on. Grandpa said, you could do better than that. You've got to pump it faster and you've got to run quicker. So he tried again. He went back to the well and he pumped and pumped and pumped and filled up the basket and he ran back to the porch where Grandpa was, sat it down. It was just kind of all draining out the bottom when he got here. And he said, uh, one more time. He says, you can go really fast. And so the boy, he pumped it and he ran as fast as he could to Grandpa and still the water had all drained out. He said, I'm wasting my time, Grandpa. I'll never be able to get the water to you in time. He said, yeah, but I want you to look at the basket. He said, when you first picked it up, it was black with coal dust. He said, it's clean now. He says, that's what happens when you read the Bible. He said, it goes through you, but it cleans you on the way. And so you've got to just keep on reading it. It has a purifying influence. All right, the definition of sin is our next category. Now, in a group like this, and we've talked about this in other lessons, but it's, it's in the lesson again today. Um, when you think, especially in the Seventh-day Adventist church where we are champions of the Ten Commandments, and I say, please give me the definition for the law. What is the most common dictionary definition we pull from the Bible for uh, sin, rather? Sin is transgression of the law. And by the way, that is a good 100% accurate definition. But I need to remind people it is not the only definition. There's some others I'll, I'll give you. John 16, verse 9. Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin because they believe not on me. It is sin to not believe in Jesus. Another definition of sin. 
If you look in Romans 3.23, sin is falling short of the glory of God. And then I believe I gave someone Romans 14.23. Why don't you read that other definition of sin for us? Romans 14.23, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. When we're not living by faith, it's sin. We are to be people of faith. And you know, the, uh, probably a more specific way to define that is if you're doing something that goes against your conscience, you're not doing it in faith, you could be sinning against your conscience. Um, it's kind of like the guy who is uh, going through the checkout stand at the market, sees a dollar on the ground, looks around, wonders who dropped it, casually leans over, picks up that dollar, sticks it in his wallet, and goes out the door and thinks he made a dollar. He doesn't know it was his dollar that he dropped. But because he didn't ask, did this anyone drop this? He just sinned and stole his own dollar. See what I'm saying? His conscience was bothering me. He's trying to hide it. He thought, just in case it was somebody else's. Well, it was him. Oh, he didn't steal a dollar because it was, uh, it was already his dollar. But his heart was not right. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? And so if you're doing something that violates your conscience, um, that's sin. Even though you technically may not have been breaking the law, like in our illustration, it was not of faith. And so that's another definition there. But we're not done yet. 1 John 5.17, another definition for sin. 1 John 5.17, this is one of the lessons from our study this quarter. All unrighteousness is sin. Anything that is wrong is sin. The opposite of righteousness is wrongness, And that's all sin. Proverbs 24, verse 9, another definition for sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. Now, we can't all control everything we think. Is that right? Sometimes thoughts may flit in and out of your mind and, and you're not always responsible for that. Can, can the devil put things in your mind? So not everything you think is a sin. But when it says the thought of foolishness, it's talking about when you deliberately choose to think on things. Let me give you another example. Jesus said, sin is not only an action, it's an attitude. Um, it's not just something you do. Yes, it's a sin to commit adultery, but Jesus said if a man looks on a woman and lusts in his heart, he can commit adultery in his heart. But let's, uh, let's take that a little farther. Let's examine that. I won't ask for a show of hands because I don't want to uh, put any men on the spot and make them lie in public. But I would venture to say that every man has been tempted with impure thoughts when it comes to the opposite sex. It's not always a sin when the thought first enters your mind. If a man is driving down the road and there's a billboard of some girl in the bikini and he sees that, if he is a healthy, normal man, it will attract the compass that God has put in all healthy men that's there and he'll notice that. And the thought will be in his mind, wow, there's a naked woman, or almost naked. And that doesn't have to be sin. As soon as he recognizes that, he can turn away and still keep himself pure. It's when you dwell upon those things, it becomes sin. So dwelling on these foolish thoughts, that's another definition for sin. And it's not just talking about the 
the impure thoughts, but all things that are sinful, if you dwell on those things, it's sin. So, the thought of foolishness is sin. James 4.17, one more definition. And there's probably others in the Bible I don't have in my list here. James 4.17, knowing to do good and doing it not to him, it is sin. Now, that's talking about sins of omission and commission. I, I remember when I first heard this, I didn't understand it, so I want to just explain. Typically, we think of sins, things you commit. Uh, you killed somebody, you lied, you stole, you robbed, you did something wrong, you broke a law. But in the great judgment, um, in Matthew 25, when he separates the sheep from the goats, the criteria of that parable is not sins of commission, it's sins of omission. He's saying, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. They didn't do anything to the hungry to hurt them. They just did not help them. They omitted, neglected uh, a Christian responsibility. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and you did not come to me or in prison and you did not visit me. And so uh, sin is not just avoiding the bad things. Sin can be neglecting to do the good things. And so the definition for sin is very broad in the Bible. How can I know I'm living a... Uh, a righteous life. You've got to be led by the Spirit. It's the only way you can know. You, you can't remember all that stuff, all those details, unless you're Spirit-led. The Holy Spirit will guide you in what your responsibilities are. That's why it's so important. If you're Spirit-led, it becomes easy. You missed a good chance to say amen. By the way, John says that... Uh, he wants us to keep His commandments and His commandments are not a burden. When you've got love, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and you've got His Spirit, doing His will becomes a delight. doesn't mean there's not temptation. It doesn't mean there's not challenges, but it's a lot easier to walk with the Lord towards heaven and be saved than to be a slave in Egypt and be lost. All right, the appearance of sin, and I'm running out of time here. 1 John 3, now I'm going to read through from 5 right through 8 here because I've got several um, points. 1 John 3, verses 5 through 8. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. It's talking about the manifestation or the appearance of Jesus. And in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Talk about that in just a moment. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. That doesn't mean anyone who's ever sinned doesn't know him. It's talking about whoever lives a life of sin. Hasn't seen him, or if they're captive by sin, or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Is that clear? Say amen. He said, don't be deceived. And there's a lot of people saying, I'm righteous because I've you know, made a claim of righteousness, but I'm living a life of sin, but I'm still righteous. You can be justified and come to the Lord just as you are and be declared righteous. But then when God gives you the Spirit, He will sanctify you and you will live a different kind of life. And that life you live is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you and you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. But the popular theology today is I'm going to live an unrighteous life and still be righteous. No, John is saying, they had that theology even back then, said, don't be deceived. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Can a third grader understand that? Then we ought to understand it, right? It's a very simple truth. He who sins is of the devil. Now, 
if I am tempted and I fall, am I of the devil? Not necessarily. But it's talking about he who practices sin. There's a difference between falling in the occasional uh, sin and a life of sin. The Bible says, if you're saved, sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not reign over you. How many of you think we might have some terrorists that have been planted in our country that are biding their time that would like to attack us? I believe it. Do they have dominion? We might experience an occasional terrorist incident. There are criminals in our country, but they don't have dominion. Well, I don't know. It's kind of getting that way. In some, some towns, you wonder. But uh, you understand the principle I'm saying. It's one thing to be under attack by the devil and to occasionally fall. That's why John says, if any man sins. You know what he says, if. It's not the pattern. But it should not have dominion. That's why he says, do not let sin reign. Reign is on the throne. When you're saved, Christ is now on the throne in your life. And so if a person is still captive by sin, there's some addiction, some habit in your life that you haven't gotten the victory over, sin is reigning in your life. God wants us to have a consistency of victory. Acts 3.26, let me read this to you. To you first, God having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So it's not just that you're declared righteous. We are to be turned away from our iniquities. A new path, a new life. Amen? All right, read for me. Uh, first John, no, I said Matthew one twenty one. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Is there a difference between being saved from sin and being saved in sin? Sin is our problem. It causes all the trouble in our life. It brings misery and sickness and death and division. He wants to save us from that. He doesn't want to just put a band-aid over it and say, I'm going to declare you're healed and you still got cancer. I'm not going to help you. You want to be delivered from it, right? Hebrews 9, verse 26 through 28. Then he would have had to suffer often, seen since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin from the, by the sacrifice of himself as it has been appointed for man once to die, but after this the judgment. So, Christ was offered once to bear the sin of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear the second time without sin for salvation. The idea of Christ is to save us from our sins. He will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We must be cleansed from our sins. And read for me First John 1 verse 7, please. Jessica? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us all from all sins. Light has a purifying influence. Uh, when you're out in the desert, uh, and you, you, your clothes can actually get sterilized if you leave them out on a dry rock. Uh, the desert has a sterilizing influence. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, the light of Christ, that means walking in the light of his word, right? 
A person can't be walking in darkness and sin and say, I'm walking in the light. And so if you're walking in the light of his word and following, following his teaching, his blood and his truth has a purifying influence on our lives. Now we're going to go back and dwell on that verse. 1 John 3, verse 9. This is, we only got two minutes for a troubling verse. Who, who did I give that to? Right here, hold your hand up, Renee. Whosoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, this has really troubled people. Does that mean that once you have been baptized and you join the church, if you sin, you never were born again? He's not saying that. He's saying if anyone practices a life of sin, um, if that means, as a matter of fact, if you look in the New American Standard Bible, it says if we go on sinning willfully after we, that's Hebrews 10.26, if we go on sinning willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth. So that's what it's talking about, continuing a life of sin. God wants us to have the victory. Now, people will say, Pastor Doug, it sounds like you're preaching perfectionism. Well, I am, because I'm preaching about Christ, and He's perfect. What is our example as a Christian? Is our example a perfect example? If it's anything less than Christ, then it becomes an imperfect example. You know, one of the big problems that we've had in North America with the education system is because some students performed poorly and others felt sorry for them. They said, well, our standard is too high. Even though some students are still getting A's, we need to lower the standard so that everybody can feel more loved. And so they, what they called, they dumbed down the curriculum. And they continued to dumb it down so that more and more the students would feel like, well, yeah, you know, I'm really a C student, but I'm getting an A and I'm hardly studying, so I feel like I'm doing well. Well, what happened to the overall academics in the country and the, the uh, not the IQ is not the right word, but the, the academic excellence, the scholastic ability, it, it plummeted because they tried to make everybody feel good by lowering the high expectation. That happens in the church when you have anything other than Christ as our standard. Now, I don't think there's anyone here, myself included, that will claim perfection. But I'll freely tell you that I have a perfect goal. Jesus. We are to strive to be like Him. And do not ever become satisfied failing. You get complacent and comfortable when you fall. That's very dangerous. You become presumptuous. You will fail to genuinely repent if you take sin lightly. And if you fail to genuinely turn away and repent and feel sorrow for your sins, you'll become comfortable with your sins. And that's how you begin to grieve away the Holy Spirit. That's very dangerous, friends. Amen? Amen. We've run out of time. I want to thank our friends who have studied with us for joining us. By the grace of God, we'll be back again next Sabbath. I want to remind you also about the free offer. It's offer number 723, the Holy Spirit, the need. Just call 866-788-3966. Thank you very much.